Hey guys, and welcome back to the Cinema Slayers podcast. We have got a face melter of an episode for you guys today. We are doing another one of our Rebel Without a Crew series, but to start all this off, we do have the leading lady of all Cinefans hearts, Heather. Hey everybody, thanks for joining us again. And then next we have the candy bar in human form, whose house smells like tacos and vapor rub, Devin. Hey, hey, hey guys. Thanks for making the choice to listen to the man with the caramel voice. Sit back, relax, and open up your ears, because we got a special guest tonight, and he's going to blow you away. And it is me, the bearded one, Sterling, as always, with my golden tones taking you through this podcast. And as Devin said, we are joined by a very special guest from Rebel Without a Crew, the star of Good Exorcist, Daniel Degan. Yo, what is up, fellow slayers of cinema? <laughs> it is I, Daniel Degan. What's happening? Father Gill himself. Yeah, the titular Good Exorcist from said Good Exorcist. How you doing? I that really was probably do one love. of the more enthusiastic ones. Yeah, I love <laughs> the enthusiasm. I, I, I just imagine you and all six, six of you, like with your arms <laughs> just spread out. Slayers, I love it. <laughs> yeah, I'm using all my limbs. I'm standing up. <laughs> yes. Just kidding. I'm sitting down in my basement because I'm too tall. Phrasing, <laughs> phrasing, my friend. <laughs> What's up, everyone? So, Daniel, as we start all podcasts with guests, we do have our little game we like to play. It is loosely based uh-huh. on Rick's questions from The Walking Dead, uh, but they do have a more uh, cinematic theme to them. We are going to start it off with question number one. What are your top three TV shows? Ooh, top three TV shows. Okay. So full disclosure, I've definitely listened to some episodes. Um, all the uh, previous Rebel Without a Crew eps, I've, you know, given them some listening. So I did make a list because I'm really bad at thinking off the cuff. So I'm trying to do some stuff that's not... I didn't want to repeat anyone's answers necessarily, unless they were really good. So with that said, top three TV, I'm going with The Simpsons, which I'm pretty sure Josh already said, but fuck it. It's it's that good. The Simpsons. I mean, you have to. You have to. It's just so good. Um, number two, I'm going to go with Lost. Thank you. I love that show. Thank you. Yeah. You know, and to anyone that does not like the last season, just like life, it's not about the destination it's about the journey and the storytelling that was used in that show mm, it's it's so good so good father gill with that wisdom thank you i love that show it's yeah it's a banger it bops i love lost i feel like people kind of have been sleeping on it lately but you know what everyone after this podcast go revisit season one episode one. Oh, one of the best openers of all time true uh, and then uh it's Kind of out of left field, but for my third and final, I'm going to have to say it's kind of a weird amalgamation, but I'm going to have to go with uh, WWF, WWE, uh, wrestling, Raw or SmackDown. (laughs) Hey, yo, wrestler. Yes, Justin would love you right now, man. I just I I just love that pick, man. When I'm not body slamming (laughs) some dudes or hitting the ropes, I'm sitting back at home watching some WWE. Which is one of my favorite things. <laughs> <laughs> he should have he been here. He should have been here. It's his loss. That's all right. It's all right. 
But um, yeah, I got to go. You know, I watched as a kid. I watched during like the Attitude Era. I kind of slipped out of it in high school for the uh, the quote unquote ruthless aggression era. I returned to it within the last like five years during the whole Daniel Bryan. Good old PG. And uh, all that jazz. Yeah, you know, and now with NXT and everything happening there, you know, here's what I'll say. If you don't, if you're not familiar with wrestling at all, go to YouTube. Watch Wrestling Isn't Wrestling. It's 25 minutes long. Uh, It's done by Max Landis. Um, And if that turns you off, watch it anyway. Um, Wrestling Isn't Wrestling is a fantastic little bite-sized morsel of explaining exactly what makes professional wrestling so damn good because it'll tell you right up front 80 percent of the time it's hot garbage but that 20 percent, that 20 percent of storytelling is so good it's it's like crack that's why you keep correct coming back to it you keep watching it you can't it's a soap opera that is episodic that does not end and you just gotta keep you keep holding on because you know something good's gonna happen so yeah those are the top three um honorable mention x-files because of course <laughs> nice. I'm done with that because X-Files, we, we, we recently did an episode uh, that everybody can go back and listen to when we did the game question one for all of us, you know, here on the podcast. We were, you know, answering these questions oh, yeah. ourselves and X-Files was on mine. Mm-hmm. So I definitely get that. Um, it's it's just damn good. Like I it is this 11th season when they did that, that blew my mind. I loved way more episodes in that than then I didn't. There were a few. There, there were a few. You know, kind of duds in there. But I'm like, that's very much X Files. If they don't have at least one yeah. or two duds in there through 10, 11 episodes, I'm like, then they weren't doing their job. Because um, mm-hmm. that's what they do. You just you have a few yeah. good episodes, then you have a dud, then you have a few more good episodes. And yeah, uh, the lost art of forehead sweat. <laughs> is, yes, <laughs> me is the greatest X Files episode of all time, and it's in the 11th season because it is so damn meta for the X Files. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. they did an X-Files episode on the X-Files and it was so damn good. It's and it's it it is the best things about the best episodes of X-Files. It's funny yet. You know, it goes down the rabbit hole. It's everything you want an X-Files to be like all wrapped up into a bundle of like 42 minutes of perfection. Yeah, I I agree. And, and, And back to same with Lost. As I defend the final season of that show, I defend the John Doggett years because they are fantastic. They've switched this. They flipped the script. Scully is now the believer. And John Doggett, played by the fantastic T-1000, is this rough, grisly, oh, you know, whatever, by the books, hard dude. And that's the craziest fucking seasons. Like everyone just like shits on it because it wasn't Fox Mulder. Like it is gory as hell. It's oh, it's fantastic. Go go watch the Doggett Years, you losers, because it's good. <laughs> I, I liked the Doggett Years. I didn't like it though when it was what Doggett and uh, Agent Reyes though. When Scully oh, also yeah. when, when Scully went on the back burner is when it lost me. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. I forget about those years. I yes, brown everyone out. does. But yeah, it, it's that's when they lost. I I I'm I'm with you though. When it's Doggett and Scully, I like the dynamic. Yes. But when Reyes comes in, good stuff, and 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 Scully is just like the mentor character that's in it every episode for like three minutes. No, yep, I can't yep. handle that. And yeah, yeah, they really God bless them for trying to keep it going. But oof, yeah, Reyes. Yeah, oof. and but I I really do like what they've done with these new seasons. So I think they're fantastic. I mean, that first that little mm-hmm. six episode one, 
I, I think they kind of set themselves up a little bit for failure with that because they gave themselves six episodes. So you know yeah. that they're automatically going to go heavy mythos in it. And yep. that's where you kind of can lose some people. But the, even that the one like, you know, comedy episode they did in that with, uh, oh, that Australian guy whose name is just escaping me right now. Um, he's in Fly of the Concords. Oh, yeah. He was in Yes Man with Jim Carrey. I can name a billion things the guy's in, but I can't remember his name. It's like John Reese Davis or something like that. Reese Darby, right? Yes. Reese Darby? Yes. Yes. No. Reese, Reese Darby. Yes. That Brit. guy. Yeah. That guy's that guy. amazing <laughs> in that episode. That That is a super funny episode. Yep. And it's, it's, it's one of those. It's uh, another example of like the best the X-Files can give you is better than most other shows. And that episode is one of those uh, shining examples of that, too. Mm-hmm. I agree. Man, now, now I kind of want to say fuck everything we're going to talk about and just you and me sit here and talk about the X-Files for two hours. Well, <laughs> what started as an audible mention has become right. the whole well, thing. But before we start out with the next question, I have one more question about Lost for you. Yeah, ja- yeah, yeah. Jack and Kate or Jack and Sawyer? You got to tell me which one. Oh, damn. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Kate and Sawyer or Kate and Jack? Not Jack and Sawyer. That never I happened. So. <laughs> what was the addendum? Oh, um, I think uh, I said Jack and Sawyer. I meant Kate and oh, Sawyer. Sure. Kate and Jack. I mean, I'd yeah. that too. I'd shoot that all day. <laughs> I have some fanfic right. that would blow your mind. Um, <laughs> it's it's kind of like, you know, that Keanu Reeves, Sandra Bullock thing where they write the letters in the mailbox because it's like, you know, they're from different times, different the worlds. He's in the Dharma. Mm-hmm. Yes, thank you. You know, Jack mm-hmm. has to go back. He's putting letters into a mailbox. Well, you know, our boy Sawyer's over like 60s Dharma. Okay, so I'm done. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I'm going to go with Kate and uh, uh, Sawyer. He, really? He, he became a real softie. He became a real softie at the end. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Should I go back and watch my... It's, it's a toss up, I but I think it's because like Jack was my favorite character because he was like that protective leader dude. So right. I, I'm always right. for Jack and Kate because Jack is my favorite. Right. But I could see I either mean, way, either way. Yeah. And that's the thing. That's why the storytelling is so GD right. good because Jack was a hero whose flaws later creeped in and devoured him. Whereas Sawyer was rough around the edges, hard to love. Who then yeah. rose to the okay redeemed of a himself? Hero and, yeah, yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. So you totally got both sides of the coin. Uh, I don't know. I yeah. guess I'm just gonna ship Jack Sawyer after this. I'm getting sweaty just thinking about it. <laughs> See, I told you. Anyway, um, um, well, all I can say is I've never seen this show, so I guess you could say I'm a little lost. Aw, <laughs> nice. Oh! <laughs> Questions you you want to ask? <laughs> yeah, you want to talk about the Simpsons real quick, or <laughs> um, you know what? I'm, I'm really happy. I just I like all your picks because it's just something that we really haven't heard before. Um, especially big up to the Simpsons. Simpsons. No matter what you've done, Simpsons did it first. Everybody knows that. Uh, and thousand uh, percent. And uh, you know Matt Groening and the crew. Like you can't you can't do better than the Simpsons. I don't think ever. It just they did it. I don't. The first time. I, I just think that it's one of those shows that holds up. We were talking beforehand because we always have little conversations to make sure we like each other. Uh, if it isn't going to work out, we just bail. <laughs> you guys have no many how many guests we put on, <laughs> and we try to talk to them beforehand. It's like, oh, this is awful. Never mind, just go home. No, it's not. It has never happened. Every, every person we talked to has been amazing. But um, 
just like everyone else. Okay, so, <laughs> no, I'm joking. But nice. Good save. Good save. WWE, <laughs> the Attitude Era, there's a lot of hot garbage to sift through. Yeah. But the stuff that's gold is pure. Oh, milk. it is. It's, it's pure gold. I mean, listen, you cannot. Good stuff. You cannot ever fought a person who loves their craft so much that they throw themselves off a 30 foot cage through a table and then they sneeze up yeah. their teeth. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You, you're gonna tell, that is dedication. You're going to tell that guy that, uh, you know, what he's doing isn't worth it, even if it isn't. I mean, you can't say that to that person. Telling a story. Yeah, still telling a story. Yeah. You don't have to sneeze up your teeth to tell a good story. <laughs> I, I, I stopped watching wrestling a while ago. Mm-hmm. You know, because I was a white boy in the South. We all watched wrestling. And, yeah, you know, I stopped watching it. But I am super in love with uh, Lucha Underground, though. Yeah. Because it's the best things about, like, WWE back in the day. Um, I mean, because it, yep. it is incredibly violent. And also, the storylines are just apeshit insane. And I love it. Right. There's a, but they lean into it. Yeah. There's, there's a guy who thinks he's legitimately from outer space. There's a guy who thinks he's a dragon. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there's a guy who thinks he's a white rabbit god. Um, <laughs> there's all kinds of things, all all great things, and hyper hyper style. It looks good. It's fun, and like I said, it's utterly insane. Like they have this thing where there's a gauntlet that like makes people like superhumanly strong. Like part of the storylines in Lucha Underground, people have died in, in right. the storylines, like murdered. And I'm like, I'm down for this because it really is kind of like a telenovela or a soap opera. It really is just overly dramatized fighting, and I love it. Yeah. They lean into the storytelling, and they have this their own mythos. They have their own origin story. And it's, yeah, it's fantastic. It's done, like, really well. And the benefit of that is it is, like, a hyper-stylized television show, which it looks phenomenal, and it, and it works in its own, like, universe, which is, which is fantastic. I, I also am a fan. Yeah, and I, I love the fact that, like I said, people have died in the storylines. Um, it's just, it's ridiculous. There was there was a snake man who had his head cut off, and it's it's things like that. It's not like just normal stuff. It's like, no, snake guy, head cut off type shit. Um, but no, mm-hmm. let's go ahead and we'll jump into question two now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are your top three movies? Oh, boy. I was afraid you were going to ask that. Top three movies. JK. Um, I'm going to go first off. The Tim Burton 1989 of Batman, um, yes. a favorite as a kid. Uh, my brother, my father, and myself would watch it every Friday night for, I mean, years, literally years. Um, it's still one of the best Batman films, one of the best comic book superhero films. It's the first, and it's not an origin story. Uh, take that, Marvel. And um, I don't, it just captures the mood, the essence, it gets Gotham in a gritty, fantastic way. Michael Keaton's the best Batman. Fight me. Um, and <laughs> Tim Burton, Prince, R.I.P. Uh, I wish they would have collaborated more because the soundtrack is banging. So, numero uno, that. You get in the fight. I want to okay. let you finish. Oh, okay, okay. Just let me finish real quick. Uh, <laughs> let's see. After that, I'm going to go Apocalypse Now. I'm going to swerve. Um, it just, again, I'm a sucker for storytelling and that, that movie's crazy. Like, I know it's on a lot of top 10, 20, 30, 40 lists, whatever, but it, it, it earns that spot. It is insane. It's like 
the Odyssey, Homer's The Odyssey, but like a fever dream on speed. I don't know. It's like three hours, but it's the fastest three hours ever. And it just tells a story that is just, oh, it's so good. I just, I can't get enough. And Brando just, oh, Brando's insane. I don't know. It's, and I, I enjoy movies much like The Shining. I enjoy movies where just the mythos around the movie, around the production, around the just craziness of it sort of bleeds into the actual film itself and lends itself to this just sort of crazy, dark, mysterious thing. And I don't know. I just, I remember vividly the first time I saw it, which was probably when I was like 20, like I was much older than I should have been, but I saw it and it was like a religious experience. So apocalypse now. Uh, And then I'm going to go with uh, the third one was a tough one. I got to be honest. Three is it's not enough, but I'm going to go with Jurassic Park 94 Spielberg. Not this new trash. They're trying to shill as Jurassic. Um, It's fantastic. Uh, I know. I know Crow, Ryan Crow and Josh Stifter um, have talked about Jaws. Jaws is amazing. So I wanted to swerve Jurassic Park. I love it for a lot of the same reasons. The storytelling is just, it's fantastic. It holds up. Spielberg is just a masterclass in taking exposition that most directors would make hyper boring. And he makes it fun and fascinating and intriguing. Like people forget there are scenes where they're just like sitting down and having dinner and just eating and talking about dinosaurs. Like you don't see dinosaurs for a long ass time and shit doesn't hit the fan till even later. And there's a scene yeah. where they're just sitting around and like, but it's riveting. Like Spielberg does not stop moving the camera and he just, he understands how to make stuff just exciting. And Jurassic Park is a testament to it. Jaws is a testament to it. Uh, and a, just a real quick swerve. I mean, oh, Jurassic World, goddamn. Chris Pratt is a treasure. Okay. He oh, is yes. delightful. Agreed. Agreed. If you're going to make a movie that makes Chris Pratt not delightful, you have failed. You have failed as a filmmaker. You have failed as a human being. <laughs> Both movies. That's true. Oh, he is not a delight. And I would never, I would never pin that on him. That is the work of some terrible corporate bullshit because <laughs> goddamn. And, and Bryce Dallas Howard too. They're both just, they're America's sweethearts and you put them in a movie together. It should, you know, print money, which apparently it did. But I digress. Those movies are hot garbage. <laughs> and uh, okay, I'm done. I'm done. All right. I'm going to have to fight you on those though. Cause okay, that's fair. I mean, I don't know. My whole criteria for a Jurassic Park movie is I want to see dinosaurs mm-hmm. doing some cool shit. Fair. And I kind of got that in these last two. So I was, I was, that's why I was okay with them. Uh, yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. Well, Jurassic, um, fallen kingdom, the intro fantastic. That was pure Spielberg cinema magic. That intro is amazing. The end is also fun. Everything that happens in the middle. Oh boy. <laughs> why do you keep bringing kids to the island? To bring kids to the island jesus well, uh, to me is they didn't know home. what they didn't they didn't know what movie they were wanting to make with that i think right they should have done either the terrifying like haunted house end but do yes. that for the whole movie or yep yep trying to figure out how to get dinosaurs off the island that is exploding for a whole movie yeah like, it was very odd that it was two different movies <laughs> Because I, I had not seen the final trailer that basically... Supremely different movie. Yeah. They bought in fucking human cloning. Oh, 
fucking cloning. Uh, no, I just no. I don't. It's fuck. I'm gonna. I'm gonna explode. I can't. I gotta. I'm shutting up now. Oh, the little kid was a clone. I'm sweating. I'm sweating right now. Um, <laughs> I thought. It, I thought if you watched both of them separately, it was really good. Like I think if you watch yeah. just the se- shit that happened at the beginning till they're leaving the island was great. Mm-hmm. And then I think if you watch when they're, they're at the house to the end, that's great. But when you combine the two is where it gets messy. Yes. No, I, I agree. I, I've, I've seen Fallen Kingdom not too long ago. And I did. Yeah, I, I agree. I, it should have been one movie or the other. And I liked aspects of both. But that dialogue. Oi. It was it's I mean, oh, the, again, those two are just charming people. And Fallen Kingdom felt like it was written by somebody who did not see the first movie and did not know which actors would be playing which parts like they were just such <laughs> it, it was cringy it was cringy synopsis, like pretty much this is what the what happened in the first movie Come on. yeah you know just oh, oh perfect Here you you're go. good get that pen to paper bitch and i feel like you know spielberg gets a lot of flack um but it's unwarranted flack he gets a lot of flack because oh jaws was such a big it was the first hollywood blockbuster oh you know he has kids in his movies oh he has fun in his movies yeah that's because motherfucker knows how to make a hollywood blockbuster he knows how to put kids in his movies and he knows how to have fun everybody else that is a carbon copy of what he has done that's the hot garbage we need to be pointing our fingers mm-hmm. at. That's what we need to be shaking our fingers at. There's no need to have a kid in every single film. But it's like, oh, Spielberg did it. That's because he knows how to write for kids. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. When you hit a certain level of success, that is what's going to happen. People people feel like refined and they feel edgy and they feel, um, what's the word I'm looking for? They feel um, uh, not elitist, uh, but they feel like they are, uh, they're against the grain, they're counterculture. By criticizing someone who's proven, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if you try to sh- shit on right. Spielberg, you show your lack of understanding what genuine entertainment is. Watch any Spielberg movie right. and tell me, are you not entertained? Answer that in the negative. Right. I, right. I dare you. Even, even, right. even Super no. 8. I still oh, had a great time watching that movie. No. I like that movie. Super, Super 8 was good. Super 8 was J.J. Abrams. Though. Oh, that was that was J.J. That, that was produced, Spielberg produced Super 8. Yes. Right. Spielberg yes. produced it, but it was it was J.J. that directed it. But I can say that, Devin, because he did War of the Worlds. Uh, you know, Ooh. yes, yes. But no, no, no. We watched together and we were entertained. Okay. We, we were entertained until Robbie okay. was in Boston. And then me, no. you, and Justin... We lost our shit. And don't get me wrong. It's, it's, it's not. No, no. I would say I wasn't entertained in the same way you mm-hmm. were supposed to be, though. Yeah. Because that was kind of like watching a dumpster fire. Oh, it was. With, like, raccoons that were in it just, like, shooting out of it on fire. But, like, the raccoons were fine at the end. Yeah. Because I don't want any raccoons to actually get hurt or anything. But you're, like, just seeing crazy shenanigans. And you're like, oh, this is happening. <laughs> I, agree. I agree. But it's, it's, it's can he make an entertaining movie, even if it's unintentionally entertaining yes and and that that's the thing sure i do want to piggyback off what you were saying though daniel like with him like you know or just like in general and and what devin was saying too like people want to like kind of shit on him for because whenever he does a movie now it it really is an event like every movie he does for the most part is like an event of some um some sort but he more or less earned that because he's the one that made movies that like Jaws wasn't right. the first blockbuster because right. it was intentionally made to be a blockbuster. Jaws was a blockbuster because it's 
the almost it's like damn near a perfect movie. Hundred percent. Like yeah, and it sold a lot. It got a lot of asses and seats. Yeah, and then they're like, oh. He's he's just doing it for the money and doing it for whatever. I'm like, he's doing it because he knows how to tell a good story, motherfucker. I, it just blows my mind. And I, I I know now, obviously, I think Spielberg's finally getting a lot more love and attention, and especially now of a certain time in a certain period where more filmmakers that grew up with his work are you know going to bat for it, and they're like, no, this is I mean, this is why I make movies, or this is why I you know am a part of the film industry is because of what Spielberg has done. But I know at the time, you know, obviously he got a lot of flack for that, which is just bonkers today because it's, you know, it's yeah, it he didn't know. I mean, watch as you talked with Ryan Crow, watch any documentary about Jaws like that movie was not supposed to succeed in the slightest. Like it's a miracle that that movie is as ginormous as it is today, but it it earns every, you know, accolade that it gets because it's that damn entertaining. And I'll step off my soapbox now. And also to, to Steven Spielberg's credit, too, is you can look at almost any age group. I mean, for the most part, I mean, I guess kids nowadays wouldn't know him as much. But you yeah. look at anybody, I would say 25. I mean, I'm going to go on a limb and say to 70. And <laughs> that won't have oh, yeah. an iconic Steven Spielberg movie, whether it's Jaws or Indiana Jones or uh, the uh, Schindler's List. Um, yeah, E.T. Saving Private Ryan. E.T. Yes, E.T. E. Uh, Saving Private Ryan. Like you said, uh, another one that is iconic for people uh, in in my age group. I know a lot of people older than uh, me don't necessarily like it, and I'm I'm in my early thirties. Uh, but Hook. Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Hook. Yeah. People people like thirty four <laughs> and younger love Hook. Anyone oh, yeah. over thirty four now, like they all hate Hook. And I don't know why. Like, but if you're like in our age bracket, Hook was your shit. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know. And well done. Like the thing is, and 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 that's why I was just spitting off about kids in movies. Like Spielberg never talks down to his audience. And the 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 beauty of Hook is that it's a kids movie that talks to kids, or you know, uh, kids of a certain age that grew up with a fairy tale and we're now older. And it really is about that transition of life and that transition of like, okay, I don't believe in stupid stuff like this, but you should like magic is fun and don't lose that inner child because, you know, there's, there's something to be had there. And yeah, hook is a prime example of a very divisive in as much as where you were when it happened. But I mean, that movie holds up for sure. And it means a lot to people that grew up with it. Yeah. And, and, you know, for as much shit as people give millennials, I think it's funny because a lot of people don't know what the definition of millennial is because I'll have people like two years younger than me, like, oh, fucking millennials. I'm like, dude, you're a fucking millennial. Fuck off. We're like everybody right. in their like, you know, late 20s yep. to early 30s are all millennials and they'd like to think they're not. But, mm-hmm. you know, like, oh, yeah, maybe boomers love to shit on millennials for essentially still being OK with being adults that still like kid things. You are things that they grew mm-hmm. up on. You know, like the fact that comic book movies are huge now, you know, like baby boomers are like, come on, it's a comic book movie. And I'm like, well, fuck you. I grew up on comic books. Like, this is my shit. Right. And yeah, the great thing. And that's kind of what like Hook actually like leads into the fact that you can still grow up, but still hold on to some of those things from your childhood and, you know, and still have that, you know, connection with things, even if you are grown up. Mm hmm. 
Oh, a thousand percent. I think the overarching is that if you do let those things go and you do let your the magic of childhood go, then you are are missing out on life. You're missing out on connection because you know what happens with most is yeah you become an adult and then you have children and then if you don't hold on to that magic you can't connect with your own children you you have to keep some piece of that yeah and, and that's something that's just a, a beautiful narrative to me in that film um but uh, i do want to say a couple of things to mr uh degnan um first things first apocalypse mm-hmm. now great pick yeah, yeah. i have seen that movie uh-huh. probably 18 times <laughs> I didn't see it till I was in my early twenties too. Uh, yeah. And I got like the uh enhanced mm-hmm. complete edition that's like almost like oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. three and a half hours long. And when I watched it, I literally watched it. Yes, the, re- the complete dossier, that's what it's called. And I literally stopped the movie and then I just put replay and I watched it again because it was just so amazing. And then when you hear about the turmoil that happened on set, you know. Uh, and just everything that went, you know, yeah. all the people that almost died and everything that happened. It's just an amazing film. So kudos to you. Jurassic Park still holds up. The CGI holds up. It still holds. The story holds up. The mm-hmm. themes hold up. The characters hold up. Everything still holds up to this day. My my children watch Jurassic Park. You know what? My kids are afraid to watch Jurassic Park. They'll watch Jurassic World a thousand times, but Jurassic Park is just too real for them. Yeah. Too real for them, and it, there are parts that scare yeah. the shit out of them, and it makes me happy. That's right. You got you to gotta have a fear. You got to feel fear. That's right. You need <laughs> to feel the fear, sons. That's what I say. Uh, you know, and so I love that. Well, there's one thing I want to add to what Devin was saying. When, when, you know, when everybody's saying it holds up and everything like that, the one thing that doesn't hold up in that movie is essentially the accuracy of the dinosaurs. But that is one right. thing I, I really appreciate about Jurassic World is they've got like that one line of dialogue where they're like, this isn't what dinosaurs actually looked like. This is just what you wanted us to make them look like so people would like it. Yeah. Uh, they were like, dinosaurs will look a lot differently, uh, you know, what you wanted them different. That was a good line. Exactly. So they retconned it. With that one line, and it fixes essentially the only problem that's kind of left with Jurassic World, or I mean with Jurassic Park, Yeah, was that. And then they like fixed it with one line of dialogue in Jurassic World. And you're like, oh, alright, yeah. well, it, and that's in canon technically right now, so you're like, alright, well, you know, that balances out then. It balances out, yeah. No, it's true, and there's, there is stuff about Jurassic World, the, the OG uh, Jurassic World that I do, I do like. And, and yeah, stuff like that. They really did try to bring it into canon and introduce a new generation to this whole, you know, world of Jurassic Park and Jurassic World, which I totally appreciate. Um, you know, there's obviously other things I appreciate less, but, you know, I digress. Um, but I totally, yeah, I feel that. And it definitely holds. Uh, Apocalypse Now, I totally, Josh, uh, my other half, Joshua Stifter, the director of Good Exorcist, who you've spoken to. Uh, go check out the episode if you haven't. Thank you. Um, he owned Apocalypse Now. 
he owned the he owned the complete dossier and I had never seen it before. And I remember I'm like, you know what? I was sitting uh, I was like 21, 22. I, was, I had like some crown royal because I didn't know what good alcohol was at the time. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to watch this uh, this uh, Apocalypse Now thing. And uh, I just it blew my hair back. I'm like, this is cinema. Like I just was an experience I'd never really had seen before. And, you know, it's hard to it's hard to duplicate. And I was just like, damn, this is a movie. This is what movies are. This is a movie's movie. But yeah, that's how I feel. Same with Batman. Kevin Conroy is the best Batman. Uh, fight me. Ooh, fight me, okay. motherfucker. Okay, okay. I, I, you know what? I lay Thank down you. my sword. You're, you're, yeah. Thank you. You're not wrong. And neither are you. Not wrong. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I have a really hard time with live action Batmans. <laughs> Uh, I love Michael Keaton. I wish he could have been yeah. part of Batman 3. I wish Batman 3 would have been made the way it was supposed to be made with Tim Burton and he didn't get forced out by studio shit. Uh, but I also really love, and I know this is yeah. an unpopular opinion, but I love Christian Bale as Batman. Uh, I, I love him as Batman. I, he, he, yeah. he resurrected comic book movies with that portrayal. And you can say whatever you want, but that comic book movies were in a bad fucking place until Begins came out. I remember exactly where Josh and I went to the theaters to go see, um, was yeah. it Batman Begins? Yeah, Batman Begins. The, that's, what that's what yeah. the youngins are calling. <laughs> that's what the youngins are calling it today. But they, it doesn't. It, it doesn't happen. It doesn't have an I though. It's Begins. It's it's abbreviated. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we saw Batman begin again in the theaters and we were just like, you know, it, it, we just you, there was that silent pact of like, yeah, this is probably going to suck. This might be hot garbage, but let's just turn our brains off and enjoy the ride. And we were just like, damn, that was like a serious comic book movie. Like, what the hell? Like we almost like I, I didn't know how to process it at first. I'm like, ooh. of course, now I just there's so many origin stories. I have a tough time going back to that one just because yeah, yeah there's a lot of wow. Spider-Man really. Spider-Man really ruined the origin story for me. <laughs> right, I, I feel like you're in a you are like Sterling's brother or something because you guys sound so much alike <laughs> right now. Why? Because fuck origin stories. Maybe could it's be too much. But again, I'll say Batman '89. Go check it out. We, we do not need to know how Batman began. He he already is. <laughs> it's great, and that's what I appreciated about Spider-Man: Homecoming is that they went yeah. oh. We don't need to tell you how Spider-Man became Spider-Man for the 90 billionth fucking time. Homecoming was fantastic. Yeah. And that's why, and that's another reason why I had a lot of problems with Batman versus Superman is because they still felt the need, it, even at least it was the opening credits, but they still felt the need to go, oh, hey, this is how Batman became Batman. Yeah. Yeah. It's a thing. It's a disease. <laughs> yeah. No, 89. It was just the origin of, of Joker. And it, it's like the most iconic scene where he's like in a back alley, like, you know, plastic surgery. And the dude hands him the mirror after he like slams his hand on the, you know, demanding a mirror. And then he just laughs maniacally and shatters the ball. I mean, it gave me nightmares, but I loved it. Like same with Jurassic Park. Like there is a visceral fear to those films that like get your blood pumping. And that's like that's good movie. The making. only problem I have with Aiden Batman is it is the Joker shoehorned in to be the person who killed Bruce Wayne's family. I just, I had that some 90 storytelling shit. They always did that. It's one of my biggest pet peeves. That's the only conflict I have with it. People are like, Batman killed so many people in that. He's killed a ton of people. Do some research. 
uh, well, yeah, that's all I got to say about that. Right. But that's a good time to actually go into question three. Ooh. What's your biggest guilty pleasure and why? Oh, boy. Oh, man. I didn't even have to write this one down. Um, I uh, it's it's not a guilty pleasure. It is just pure pleasure. Uh, my wife and I are unapologetically huge fans of Bravo. Anything on Bravo. We we kneel at the altar of Andy Cohen and all Bravo liberties. I'm talking Real Housewives. I'm talking Vanderpump Rules. I'm talking uh, Below Deck. I'm talking Below Deck Mediterranean. I'm talking <laughs> just the whole gamut. Flipping out. Flipping out uh, season finales tonight. I'll catch it later. That's fine. Um, huge fan of pretty much anything Bravo does. And uh, my wife and I just celebrated our three-year wedding anniversary. We went to LA uh, just to do some light Bravo celebrity stalking. And uh, it worked out. We met one housewife and we met one uh, boy from Flipping Out. So, you know. Nice. Whatevs. Uh, but yeah, that's the reality television that is on Bravo is our... I mean, we love it. And I'm not ashamed. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. <laughs> but i we watch a lot i'll take your word for it yeah, yeah, yeah that's fine no a lot of people like you're either it's a it's a cult you're either in or you're out and i'll i'll try to convert you all day but i understand if you don't <laughs> want to drink the kool-aid not, you know that's all right there's others um but yeah no we i we watch a lot of i watch a lot of trash i mean i watch a lot of trash this is just the easiest to it makes you appreciate the good stuff more i guess it does no it does and you know what i <sighs> I don't know. I think there's this weird supply and demand of there's just so many streaming services. Like there's such a demand for content right now that a lot of scripted television is just kind of hot garbage, in my opinion. All apologies. Um, there's a lot of great stuff out there, but there's also a lot of not so great stuff. Yeah. And reality at least gives you a weird glimpse into kind of, you know, what is real. Um Yes, I understand it's altered and manufactured and yada yada. But um, you spoke last week um, to Phaedra, the titular Phaedra, and had brought up 90 Day Fiance, which my wife and I are also watching right now. Um, go check out that episode if you haven't listened. And uh, there's just something about it. There's something weirdly fascinating that you just, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like I'm a better writer watching trashy television than i am watching good scripted television and mm. i could be totally wrong but i'm just gonna keep <laughs> saying that so deal with it it's part of the creative <laughs> process i see i feel like it is you need to like i don't know you need to get into someone else's head and not just listen to you know <laughs> cliched dialogue that's been said over and over again maybe it's just the chaos that what you know reality tv is is taps into something in your brain that just I think you're right. Yeah, I think it does. Maybe <laughs> it, it, it soothes the demons. Um, yeah, I don't know. Just a big fan. But um, yeah, reality television, all of it on Bravo. Check it out. Start with Below Deck. I would say Below Deck is a good. Uh, you don't have to watch Real Housewives because I understand that is not for everyone. I fall asleep a lot, too. It's fine. Below Deck is fantastic. It's like real world, but on fantastic luxury yachts because you would think that you need certain credentials to work on a big, luxurious yacht, uh, but you don't. <laughs> and these people should not be working on a boat, but it's hilarious when they do. And uh, thankfully, cameras are there to capture the whole thing. Uh, so I'd say Below Deck, 
Below Deck Mediterranean. Those are some great gateway drugs if you're looking to get into the Bravo uh, sphere. That's just me. <laughs> we'll use that to jump into Rebel Without a Crew, which is also kind of a reality series. Um, a reality show. Yeah. yeah, but you know it's a little different and everything like that. So I we started off the last episode with talking to Sarah and talking about how yep. the episode uh, where they did the the audition process, you know how crazy that was, especially when you're watching it on the show. So how happy were you that you didn't actually have to go through those crazy things to act in this movie? <laughs> oh, so freaking happy! Um, that was like a literal train wreck on. TV. Um, no, I felt really good that I didn't have to be there. <laughs> and just to preface, um, it's because Josh, the director of the film that you're in, he had you were mm-hmm. already cast as the lead role in it. For those listening, that's why he didn't have to go through that madness. So, yeah. Um, so every director was allowed a plus one on this journey. That could be an actor, a camera person, you know, whatever somebody to help sort of ease them into the zaniness that was this whole situation. So Josh and I, I mean, we, we naturally just kind of write for each other because we don't, you know, that's who we know and that's who we work with. So I've acted just solely in the stuff that we do. And so when we wrote this script for the good exorcist, I, you know, just assumed the role of the good exorcist because we knew I could deliver a line this way or I could be goofy at this moment or do, you know, be all gangly at this scene or do this dance, whatever. And um, but we had no freaking clue what the hell was ahead of us. And I told Josh straight away, like when he was going to Austin, um, because our experiences were drastically different because he was there for much longer than I was. But I told him right away, I'm like, dude, if you, I don't, we don't know what the casting process is. We don't know what the hell the casting process is going to look like. If you find a actual actor who can actually act and wants to be Father Gill, you hire that man or woman. I'm like, I had no qualms about not being a part of this because it was such a big opportunity. And I didn't want to be the weak link or, you know, um, or, you know, we didn't know. Maybe, you know, we were given access to A-list, B-list, C-list celebrities. And so let's say this movie gets, you know, one of Robert's rogues gallery of, you know, a Michael Madsen type. Let Michael Madsen be Father Gill because that would be hilarious. (laughs) And I would make that happen. Um, So, yeah, we didn't know what the hell to expect. But when I got the phone call... (laughs) the day or the night of that casting. Um, So Josh, I was still home and Josh was in Austin. He was in the thick of it and he gave me a call and um, he was very stressed. He was very tired, but I got the end. I got the better end of that stick too, because he was so happy because he had just met Avery who plays Stanley in our film. He had just met Brittany was made for this movie. He had just met, all these wonderful, amazing people that just knew what we were doing and totally gelled with what we were trying to do. And Josh, you know, being, you know, having the foresight that he does, he's like, you know, and that's how we always make films. It's like, we're not looking for the greatest actor in the room. We're looking for somebody that understands that we're just two idiots with a camera that are going to ask you to do stupid shit. It's going to get weird. We don't, necessarily need you to act the best we don't need you to outact the room we just need you to gel with our crew and like treat this like summer camp like we treat it like summer camp and just have a good time 
doing it because this is going to be hell. <laughs> so, I mean, I think it's safe to say, though, that like you were perfect as Father Gill. Like, I am so glad that you were chosen for that because you knocked it out of the park. Thank you. No, it was awesome. I mean, I'm glad that it worked out. <laughs> but I definitely was not, um, you know, I wasn't married to it if there was a better option. But we just did not know what was going to happen yeah. next. ever. <laughs> but I appreciate you for saying that. Now, when Josh talked about Father Gill, because I want to talk yeah. about the interpretation of a character. Um, when Josh talked about Father Gill, he said something really interesting to mm -hmm. me. He said, you know, even though he sees the demons mm -hmm. and, and he's performed exorcisms and, you know, so on and so forth, and he's used Bible and everything, Father Gill it doesn't believe in God. So with your portrayal, did you portray him as a, as a, a God-believing man, or did you go in there with that same type of vision and understanding of that character? Um... Yeah, I think we were I think we were very much on the same page of like where Gil was at. We he kind of was this this wandering soul, you know, like you see in the movie he he for one reason or another he is a priest at this church but he doesn't really care. Like he doesn't really feel a connection to it because he's drawn to something else. Um, something we don't necessarily get into in this movie and hopefully will later, <clears throat> El Rey. But um, it's, yeah, we did, we definitely approached it the same way and we definitely were on the same page in that regard. Um, the, the writing process was just a crazy whirlwind, though. We just, <laughs> um, we wrote it in like two weeks because we needed a script for this thing. And they're like, do you have a script? We're like, yeah, 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 yeah. We have a we have a feature film script, of course, of course. I'm like, we don't have a fucking script. Um, fake it till you make it, kids. Um, so we wrote it <laughs> real quick. And that so the one of the first things we came up with was the Father Guild dancing. That was kind of our gateway into this character. Like, what if he goes to an exorcism and he's just like bopping to headphones and like really doesn't give a shit? Like, not that he doesn't care, but really, this is every day for him. This Going is just like another day. At yeah. Yeah. 100%. And, um, you know, initially it was like, it's going to be like, you know, 80s music. Like, he's going to be bopping out to Wham or something while this, while it's this thing going on and whatever. And, um, we got the, we filmed the scene, we did the stuff and we're like, I'm like, dude, we, we, we got to do like death metal or something like something much more heavy. I'm like, I, I told Josh, I'm like, that's what you would do. That's what that's what you want to do. Like, that's what we need to do. So we switched it. But um, but yeah, no, I I I think we were definitely on the same page with that. Um, The issue I ran into was we definitely again, because we didn't know what the casting situation was going to look like, but we knew what I could bring to the table. So. I think initially Father Gill was much more zany and much more eccentric. Um, but then once we started working with Brittany and Avery and John um, and uh, everybody else on the cast. Oh, boy. Who, Mrs. Willows. I'm sorry, girly. Allie. Oh, it's that red wine. Uh, once I started working with all of them, we're like, oh, you guys are like legit actors and can like memorize lines and like emote. And like be in a scene. Okay. Um, maybe Father Gill's a little more reserved. <laughs> like we kind of retconned 
a little bit of a zaniness just because everybody else was so damn good. And it just, we realized it wouldn't work if everybody was at 11. So the only thing that we kind of uh, changed as we were going is I think Father Gill, Father Gill still has a lot of weird quirks to him and he's a really weird dude, but he's not the weirdest dude in the room at any given time. And that's because we really realized that we could give the space to everybody else because they just knocked it out of the park. So I think that might yeah. make it like it also sort of probably makes you stand out more just in the opposite way because all of these people surrounding you are at that 11 and you're the one that's kind of dialed back. And so, you know, they want to lean into more of, of who you are. They're just like, who's this guy who's not the zany one, you know, like, so I think in a, in a, the opposite way, sort of it, still makes your character stand out um, as like the lead in the movie, um, which is, it's a really interesting take on it. And I, yeah, I wouldn't have guessed that that would have been, because I, I think just the way that you portrayed him was so um, natural seeming, like it just seemed like it, you know, effortless for you to just portray him the way you did. I just wouldn't have guessed that he was supposed to be more, you know, zany than he was. So props on that. But yeah, no, that's, that's an interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, no. Well, and we just kind of we didn't uh, we didn't know locations either. So the location became, you know, it's kind of a wild western dusty Texas area. So we kind of leaned into the sort of cowboy western-esque vibe. So Father Gill slowly transitioned from a total goof to kind of a serviceable hero. And so there are I think sort of like those western nods in the film. And he does kind of end up looking like, you know, a hero of sorts, sort of like the man in black coming into town, sort of quiet. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, that and that's just, um, you know, a testament to Josh and being able to to, uh, you know, work, think on his feet and, and move forward because we we wrote this thing as like as I'm sure he explained in his episode, we wrote it for a bed and breakfast. Like it was all going to be in this, it was going to be very much a haunted house film. And I was just going to be this kooky little priest that comes in and is like, Hey, y'all need an exorcism. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> and uh, it wasn't that, but the fact that we acknowledge that and then move past it is I think a testament to what makes the movie work. Cause if we would have tried to put the, square pegs in the round hole all day. It just would have been a really, it would have been a hot mess for sure. I, I think portraying him at uh, Father Gill as monotonous uh, and really just into it like, yeah, the demon's going to say some shit and then somebody's going to die. But if I just stay up on it, you know, we're, I want to get him out. I really love that because in every other film with this is <laughs> like every single time it's like, this is the worst haunting I've ever seen. I've never seen a possession like this. But, you know, in real life, I have friends who are doctors and yeah. EMTs and, and lawyers. And, you know, they just talk about shit like, yeah, man, you know, you know, his intestines came out of his asshole. But my friend was like, hey, that's not his, the other EMT was like, that's not his intestine. That's his esoph esophagus. And I was like, holy shit, his esophagus is on his ass. You know, they just really they're just so numb to just things that just shock me. You know, it just shocks me. And, and that's how it is. You know, I, you know, as a human being, after you see something enough, you just kind of get used to it. And, and why not with, an, you know, a, a demon eliminator? Why not? Why not with? Yeah. I, so I love that. That was a right, great call. Right. My, um, when I used to do stage acting, 
uh, one of the best directors I ever worked for, and said, it's not acting, it's reacting. And you guys reacted very well because it was just, it, it played yes. so well. It played so well together. That, that toned down approach with Father Gill was, it was just masterful. It's one of the, one of the things I really did enjoy about the film. So good job to you guys. And also, you are awesome with doing plugs. Can we just call you on the show to plug shit? Cause you, I think you, I think you plug like 10 things. What? You are the plug oh, master. Totally. Wait, never mind. Not the plug master. <laughs> You're going to get some weird DMs <laughs> on Instagram if I put <laughs> sweaty again, but I appreciate it. I am the plug master. Uh, no, I, you know, that's exactly, I mean, so fun fact, hot goss. Um, there is a scene, there's a scene in the show that I was dreading forever and ever and ever uh because i i swore i mean josh and i both swore this was gonna make the cut it was perfect prime time uh reality television drama was my first day on set maybe my second i've already forgotten but my first big delivery of lines in front of everyone because josh and i work differently we're like we're used to working with ourselves we're like okay we're just gonna shoot your lines and then we're gonna go over here and shoot this person's lines if you don't know your lines we'll just feed them to you off camera no big deal first day on set i'm with Brittany. i'm with avery i'm with john i'm with ali josh hasn't even he's not even set up yet he hasn't even said action like he's nowhere near ready and they are like masterpiece theater motherfuckers like everybody is in character they are delivering their lines like they are a family like they're acting like this is real and i'm like holy fuck what the hell am i doing here i'm a motherfucker from the midwest i don't even know what my lines are um it was just a total holy shit moment i'm a fish out of motherfucking water and the first delivery of my lines was just like, I was like visibly shaking and just like, I'm Father Gill. <laughs> uh, it was a fucking nightmare. And we stopped production for a minute. Everybody else is like trying to console me, like trying to give me notes, trying to help me out. God bless them. They were all sweeties, little sweeties. And um, I'm like, Jesus Christ, this is going to be my fucking introduction to this fucking TV show. The guy from the Midwest who should not be here who is not an actor <laughs> and is totally barfing all over this movie. Um, and they didn't show it. God bless him. Excellent. Ryan Crow, you little, uh, listen to his episode. Um, I don't know if Crow was, uh, the guy who said, don't do that, but I, I like to think he is. Um, but yeah, I, I was nervous as hell because they were just so committed and so good at what they do. And, they what they did was a couple episodes later they have a scene with me and avery just going through lines and they're like dan's learning on the job i'm like oh thank you robert your soothing voice um and that's what it was like i i totally and that was their i mean that was their crash course is they just told me like just react just be in the moment don't worry about the lines don't worry about what you think you need to say worry about what how you're saying it and worry okay this is where the scene starts. You need to get to here. Just do it how you would do it. Do it how Father Gill would do it. And that was just, I mean, it was, it was in a very intensive, like crash course in acting, much like Josh's crash course in, you know, directing under these circumstances. Um, and it was fantastic. Like, I don't regret any of it. Um, but they, I mean, these people, I mean, everyone carried the movie and I thankfully just, you know, got to look good doing it so 
at what point did you um, get more comfortable as Father Gill? I mean, was it just kind of the the teamwork of everybody working together? Was it, you know, because you were working with Josh and he calmed you down? Where, what was the point when you were like, okay, I can actually do this and I feel like I'm a little bit more on my element than I thought I would be? Yeah, I would say it was the flight home and uh, <laughs> I realized, oh, it's out of my hands now. <laughs> that Good just luck, happened. Asshole. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck editing that. Uh, no, <laughs> I would say, ooh, is a good question. I think it was, I mean, honestly, it was probably day three. Okay, so the, 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 obviously a lot of people haven't seen the movie yet. Come back to this episode when you have. It'll be here for you, like a warm little blanket of information. Uh, the scene that I was really fumbling over was <laughs> Plugmaster. The the scene I was fumbling over, the first scene I had was talking to Mr. and Mrs. Willows, and I was just about to put the uh, the VHS tape into the the VCR and explain to them what an exorcism for me looks like. Um, the next day, so that was my freakout moment. The next day was um, the one shot with the slider where I'm now in the place that was haunted, and then I walk from the living room into the kitchen into the next room as i'm like commanding the demon to speak to me and then i come back into the first room and everything's all jumbled that was my like first scene the next day and that really was i mean honestly it was that quick like everyone was so supportive of my situation like they understood like avery avery merrifield is a little sweetie if you ever get to hang out with that handsome gentleman also check out uh a dog walker's christmas on netflix uh it's another one of his films that he he loves to talk about um he you know and john as well and ali everyone really like took me under their wing and was like okay this you know we now see that you're not an actor okay so let's work with this and they totally just um were supportive and josh always knew too like josh always knew that i would be able to make it happen Josh was just under <laughs> 3,000 pounds of other pressure and bullshit right. being the star of a reality show. <laughs> like, you know, when he wasn't behind the camera filming, he was on the camera talking about filming. You know, it was like they really had him in his own thing. And I, you know, it was so funny. It was like, you know, two ships passing in the night always. It's like, oh, you're my best friend and I see you struggling and I want to help you. But... Alas, the cameras will not let us embrace. It was very weird. But, um, you know, we embraced later. But um, I would say, yeah, probably the next day was really when it got comfortable. And then, um, yeah, it just was kind of like it, you, you kind of repurposed your mindset where it's like, this is going to happen. This next scene is going to get filmed, whether you like it or not. So you better just have fun with it and, you know, try to at least make it a serviceable scene. So kind of relieving that pressure, that initial pressure of like, oh, shit, what's my line? What am I doing? What am I doing with my hands? Why am I so gangly? And then it was like, just do the fucking thing. Like the worst thing that can happen is it's not that good. And then you just do it again. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of where we ended up on it. And it was awesome. <laughs> cool. So with everything that uh, with the reality show and everything like that, were there any moments for you where like you were like oh yeah this is a reality show and like those constraints like kind of took you out of your element like or anything like that like what was that part of it like yeah so with the reality show uh, that element it 
was like weird at first, but then it got really comfortable because we were there to do a different task. Like as soon as I arrived and was like, holy shit, there's cameras everywhere. I'm microphone like I'm mic'd right now. Everyone can see and hear what I'm doing. This is really weird. It that washed away really quick just because, oh, yeah, that's right. We're here to do a movie. Um, You know, so you kind of shifted your focus and your perspective on things and just went to the task at hand. So that was not too nerve wracking. However, there was a scene. (laughs) There was a scene that never made the cut, um, like most scenes do, because they film thousands and thousands of hours of films. Um, There was a day off that we had and Josh and I were looking for props for one of our monster characters. So they took us to like an ace hardware and like a target and like we went on location we went to this costume shop in the heart of austin texas the day before halloween it was packed to the goddamn gills uh with cameras and microphones and like five or six people following us and they're like okay okay just act natural act like you'd walk into a costume shop and look for this thing i'm like there are five people like looking at us like hanging on our every word as we're supposed to act natural in a freaking ace hardware like this is so not natural like i don't know what to do with my hands like it that was the only time that it got really weird because that was the only glaring moment of like you are on a show you are in a reality situation where you're being filmed and taped and other other uh patrons that are just trying to get their these good hardworking citizens that are trying to get their hardware supplies are now you know victim to your shenanigans um so that was very awkward uh but beyond that the actual filming was was pretty smooth right out the gate and then after like three days in we were just such chums with everybody behind the camera like it just was the best crew ever like we fell in love with the, our cast. We fell in love with everyone behind the camera. Like it was, it was literally like summer camp by the end of it. So thankfully that wasn't totally nerve wracking. It was just one day of, Oh boy, I'm on camera right now. And everybody in Austin is wondering why these two idiots are on camera right now. One's really tall and weird. And the other one's really short and equally weird. And <laughs> Josh is like much more, uh, you know, comfortable in that situation to a degree. I, you know, they're like, oh, what do you guys film? And he's like, oh, we're doing another Die Hard. There's no reason why these two people would be doing another Die Hard, but that man, (laughs) that man's an idiot. And Josh is that believable. Uh, But that's like, that sort of stuff is totally out of my element. I couldn't do like a reality show where I have to live my life day to day. I could do reality competitions, I've found, but not, not going to the mall, Dan. That's too weird. So, I would, I guess I would say, I mean, cause you're saying that you weren't an actor before really. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing you kind of had an idea of based on this particular story, how you wanted it to be and were familiar with it for this specific project. Do you think acting is something that you would more regularly want to do in the future? Or do you think it was just kind of a one off and you were done and it was just for this project? Or what are you thinking in that area? Uh, yeah, totally. Josh and I have talked about it before and he he asked like the same question if he thought I would do something. I mean, I would obviously do anything that we write because we know, again, we write for what we know and we write what we know we are capable of and what we can accomplish. So I, any time a script that he and I are working on, 
I am 110% game for because it's a blast. Um, working for somebody else, um, I think so. I think it's it's fun. I, I don't see myself as like a method Daniel Day, Christian Bale lose 30 pounds to gain 150 pounds, you know, the next feature and then, you know, get a Scottish accent. I I would be good at what I can do. <laughs> And the the I'm I would lean into my typecast as a tall, gangly, awkward motherfucker. That I can do, and that I would love to do in front of a camera. I would love to get paid for that. But um, yeah, I, I definitely would do it. But I also, you know, I, I enjoy you know being behind the scenes too. I like um, obviously writing and doing these scripts is is a blast, and I'd love to keep writing and producing and yada yada but i definitely wouldn't shy away from acting again just as long as you know they knew what they were getting into (laughs) (laughs) on my end fair enough in this film you have a combat sequence Mm -hmm. tell us about that how that all was that a spontaneous thing that was thrown in was that something that was part of the script um what how did that all go and that i mean that was great as josh described um, I, I did write that in, um, I, I, I actively wanted to get puked on. I was fine with it. Um, and then the, the wrestling around with a bear, uh, it was fantastic. I recommend it. Um, it was choreographed loosely, but we knew, we kind of knew what beats we wanted to hit. But again, we wrote the script within the confines of a $7,000 movie in 14 days. So we're like, we kind of shot everything with the same mentality of let's do one for the rare case that this actually fucking works. And then let's do one for shits and giggles in case this looks like you fighting a fucking stuffed teddy bear, like an idiot. So it was kind of a mixture of both things always because we didn't know what we would find in the edit. But um, once we cut the hole in the bear's arse and really opened it up, then it's like, oh, hey, I can put my hand in it and then I can move all of its appendages with my fingers. And then I have my middle finger free. So if we blacken that up, that could be the tongue. So now I'm the tongue. <laughs> I've got the two, two legs. So it really was just me versus myself for the most of it. And that was, you know, I, I knew what to expect, you know, in that regard. Um, but I'm just glad that it turned out as good as... <laughs> I'm glad that it's genuinely creepy like i'm glad that everything leading up to it every time we play it in a theater there is audible like oh shit don't go in there sort of moments uh which i mean is awesome because uh we didn't know if we would get that (laughs) and then once it goes oh no it worked really well yeah no it was great (laughs) yeah no we were like well we'll see what happens but yeah no people get scurred which is awesome yeah and i was telling um josh when we spoke with him that one of my favorite scenes is the one where you're um, you're just having that one-on-one conversation with. I'm sorry, what is the lead female's name? Um, oh, Brittany. Brittany. Maria. Yes, Maria. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's. I don't know why, but for that, for some reason, that's one of my favorite scenes of the whole thing because there, there's just some genuine conversation, and it just felt like a real conversation that two people would be having about spiritual matters and just life and. I loved that they added that because as funny and outrageous um, as the movie is, that element kind of just makes it more likable because, you know, it just makes it more relatable to people. And so I I loved that that scene was added in there. 
Um, you know, cause I feel like that's just, you know, a normal conversation that people would be having. And, um, I just appreciated that that was added in it. So. Oh yeah. Thanks. Yeah. We, I mean, that's kind of always where we, how we approach things. We, I don't know. There's that part of us that always likes really zany, stupid stuff, but we always have this like one sort of very chunky dialogue, heavy sort of reflection. And I, you know, I think it's stuff um, from our own lives, whether it's something we're working out or something that we've just experienced or, or can relate to yeah. where we just have that in us where it's like, let's say something here because if nothing else, maybe somebody will, you know, get something from this moment <laughs> if they didn't get anything from the you know, rolling around with the teddy bear sequence. <laughs> I don't know how you wouldn't get something from that because that was just greatness. But, you know, right. I mean, come on. It's some of my best work, people. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, and, and, and again, with, I can't say enough, Avery and Brittany both just stole the show. And that's one of those scenes, you know, where you don't know what you're going to get and what people are going to bring to the table. And to be truthful, I, 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 Josh and I wrote that you know, together. And I remember writing it, but also there on set day of, I don't remember any of it. So I totally, um, fun fact, I totally had the script in my lap the entire time. Uh, <laughs> that's why my legs, my legs are crossed as I'm smoking my cool cigarette. Um, Secrets from Brittany the set. Just, <laughs> yeah. Those are, that's some hot goss that they won't tell you on the show. Uh, the script was in my lap the whole time, even though I wrote the damn thing. Um, but Brittany just killed it and she just brings this like earnestness to everything. Like she just, she's able to be such like a tough, rough around the edges sort of person. And then also able to drop the guard at the same time, like, sim you know, almost simultaneously without, without it feeling fake, you know, or without it feeling unearned. Like right. she just had this vulnerability that also had a guard up and, and that's obviously what we wanted and what we were looking for. And we were hoping that that scene really was that sort of catalyst of, of Gil connecting to somebody that's dealing with some shit versus somebody that's seen some shit and trying to relate to each other in their own terms, you know, and find that common ground. So I don't know. We, that's like our thing. We, <laughs> we always write these <laughs> super obnoxious dialogue moments. These sort of monologue, the parts that I love, <laughs> yeah, no, and, and and we do too. Like we'll never not do it. Like every movie, I think we always will have that moment where the character just has to like do an aside, and then you know, with somebody else there, it's just I don't know in our nature to do that because I don't know because that's like kind of what we grew up with. We love like we love performance acting, like we love you know, people that just commit and can do shit like that. But we also love 90s films that are just like crazy fast and busy and don't feel the need to explain stuff all the time. And then just, you know, are fast paced and are fun. But then we need to like slow it down at least one time, you know, so people can catch up and see right. what we're doing. I mean, and it's a testament to just how just the the writing that both of you did for it because it doesn't feel out of place you know you don't feel like oh well this is a random scene that doesn't belong just the you know josh just did a very amazing job at telling a complete story 
with how he directed it and how it was written. And it was just a very complete full story. Like when it's over, you you got everything that you were hoping for from a film. And um, even those, you know, profound little moments that are placed here and there in the film. So it's just a very, it's a testament to just how well the the story was written. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. And well, and Josh, like always, I mean, those scenes are his bread and butter. Like he will, he has the wherewithal to know where we can cut time and where we can cut scenes entirely. But like those moments are the ones that he really, he cherishes and he treats with a certain sort of like respect and reverence. Like we, we made a point to make that, you know, that was one of the longest takes, you know, and we spent a lot of time that night getting that done right because we knew, we knew you can't really fuck up a dude fighting with a stupid, with an inanimate teddy bear. You, you just can't fuck that up. It's going to look <laughs> stupid, really good and stupid. But, you know, those scenes when it's just two people really like, trying to get somewhere and get to the root of something you can't fake that and you can't and it's so easy to make it feel forced or feel out of place or feel just stupid so you know yeah a testament to josh he always tries to to take the time for those scenes and those moments because he knows he knows what he's looking for and he knows when he hits it he's like i mean the kid knows when he gets a take he knows nine out of 10 times he knows that's the one and he knows that's the one that's going in the final cut because he just has that vision and he has that idea of what what he wants it to look like and that was definitely one of those of like you know and again maria uh britney just killed it yeah so when you had to fight your hand essentially as the teddy bear did that give you like (laughs) a newfound respect for what bruce campbell did in evil dead 2 (laughs) <laughs> oh, a hundred percent. A hundred thousand percent. It's funny too, because I had watched Evil Dead 2 um a couple nights prior. And I, I, I think I think I was just so nervous. I didn't even put two and two together. Like I was just watching it. I was wa- <laughs> I was watching that as an escape from the grueling pressure of making a movie, only to go on set like a few days later and do the same exact thing and totally like not appreciate the sweet sweet you know irony of it all like oh wow i'm doing i'm also doing this like we're going full bruce campbell here we're going sam raimi like og and i have watched it again since then and so much respect i mean i mean bruce campbell he he gets respect but he does i mean i mean raimi both like they don't they deserve mad props because a skeleton crew film regardless of genre, regardless of, of content. Like, I mean, it's a Jaws situation. Evil Dead 2, for all intents and purposes, we should not be talking about that film. It should be lost to the ages because it should not have been as successful as it is. But it's fantastic. It's amazing. And it's the, it's the dedication and commitment to people like that. So I, next time, I will, I will just lean into it and I will... I will be the Bruce Campbell to Josh's Sam Raimi and I'll just, I think I'll be, I'll have more respect for it, which will also give me more uh, uh, freedom to just be. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, the <laughs> that's, that's third glass of red wine talk right there. No, but. no. But the thing is, maybe it's my second glass. So I understand what you mean, <laughs> but no, I get that. And I think we were also telling Josh um, at some point we were saying, I mean, it's just the the way that it's written, it could actually be like a series of movies. 
you know, like Father Gill's adventures, whatever. So it's just kind of like it. It's it's one of those where it's good enough to do that kind of thing. So yeah. Oh, thanks. I mean, and then again, that was something that we you know went into knowing and sort of thinking about because we just wanted to get as much out of this experience as we could and like what we could you know we still don't know what this experience is i mean we literally still don't know what it might become or what it won't become or what it will be um but we knew right away you know just through robert's guidance and robert's understanding of of filmmaking and what made him so successful is you know listen to any of his interviews any of his early stuff any of his podcast interviews he is such a big fan and proponent of um your own ips your own intellectual property like write what you know but like build the universe out of nothing and josh and i just totally respect that you know like it's your sandbox like get weird with it and and make interesting characters, make fascinating stories and do stuff that people want to get invested in. And so that was that was 100% Robert, you know, and just leaning into that, you know, I mean, that really is what keeps that sort of grindhouse uh, vibe. I don't know that flame and that vibe. Yeah. I mean, you just fall in love with these wacky fucking characters. Yeah, for and, sure. in these crazy situations so that was totally yeah us embracing that and it's like okay what do you know what do we want to see and we had the the priest and we had maria and we had stanley but you know as josh may have mentioned before we we early on we knew that we knew the ending would be father gill and maria um opening up that chapter of what could be next um but Stanley's just so goddamn lovable. And and after we met Avery, it's like, okay, <laughs> this motherfucker is along for the ride now, too. Like it, you know, it organically sort of blossomed into this whole thing. And it's like, oh, yeah, that was very much that was very much planned. You know, whether people want to see it, time will tell. But that was by no, you know, small accident. Nice. So was it weird? Like, um, you know, after it's already been filmed and you've wrapped up and you see um, how the show is presented, like when Rebel Without a Crew airs, is it is it nostalgic for you? Does it feel weird? Like you're like that doesn't feel like the experiences I had, or did it kind of match up? You feel like to what your experience was on the show? Um, it's kind of both. It's sort of this weird amalgamation of everything. Um, because I mean, honestly, like I think everyone agrees, like. Um, all the other filmmakers like I, I wish it's 12 episodes. I wish it was like 36 episodes like <laughs> right. It, it, there's, there's just so much that you don't get to see. And 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 I get that and I understand that. And they're they want to make it, you know, bingeable. They want you, you know, left wanting more. So I totally get that. I totally respect that. And just the understanding of like the way things do you know, are are told from a, a storytelling perspective in as much as, you know, these five directors went through a lot of the same bullshit just by virtue of their circumstances. But people might get bored of seeing five people go through the same things over and over. So they kind of had to cherry pick, you know, what was the most advantageous? Like, what was the best moment where this thing happened? So you're only going to get, you know, Bola's perspective of this thing, even though it happened to all of them. Right. Or Andrew set went through this trouble but so did everybody else but his was you know 
prime time ready uh, in front of the camera. So it, you kind of like, man, I wish they would have showed my thing where this thing happened or whatever. Only in as much as like, because it's just so much fun to see, you know, this behind the scenes train wreck of making a film in four <laughs> I could watch it all day. Um, so in that regard, you you know, Josh and I, I remember watching it initially online. We're just like, oh man, I wish I wish we would have gotten to see this, or I wish this would have happened, or I wish you know, I wish I wish. But I think watching it, it it really is like a perfect sort of story. You know, I guess it tells everything in a in a really interesting way that's exciting for for viewers. I hope, and I. I definitely are. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely nostalgic for it. A hundred and ten percent like it. It definitely brings back memories, but in a weird way, because you you as you're doing it, you just you're so in the thick of it. You don't have time to make memories. I mean, you're almost like, yeah, in zone. And to see it play out, you're almost like, did I do that? Or did this happen? Like, I kind of remember it going like this, but well, I guess cameras were filming me, so I guess it happened like that. And it just was this crazy, surreal thing, you know, and 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 put on top of it the fact that the whole time you're there, Josh and I are just like pinching ourselves like, there's no way that this is real, right? Like Robert Rodriguez doesn't give a flying fuck about a fucking dancing priest in South Texas. Like this is like we're getting played right now <laughs> like this is insane it was like your goodwill hunting moment kind of thing where you're just like how did this happen yeah exactly it, it, a thousand percent like this we shouldn't be here and um everyone's just like no no it's great it's great and like okay if you say so um but yeah no definitely i i appreciate it i like watching it I like going back to it. And again, because it it's just the way that the, the show is done, it does, uh, there is a reverence. You know, Robert said day one, like, this is not reality television. This isn't, um, I'm not trying to make people look like idiots. I'm not trying to make people look dumb. I'm trying to show what it takes to do this. And I want this to be an inspiring experience for the filmmakers. I want this to be an inspiring, inspiring experience for the crew. And I want this to inspire people watching at home. Like Robert was very much uh, involved and he was very adamant about the fact that this was going to be positive. So nobody really, you know, uh, got the short end of the stick, I feel. And it, there definitely isn't like manufactured drama. It just... It's just crazy. It's just the fact that making a movie under those circumstances is batshit bonkers bananas. So um, it's fun to go back because, like, like I said, I don't remember any of it. But, but yeah, I do miss it. That's awesome. And I don't mean this in a bad way. And I said the same thing to Josh when I was watching Rebel Without a Crew, and everybody was talking about their projects and things like that. Mm -hmm. Good Exorcist seemed like one of the movies I actually probably wouldn't like just based on my own personal preference. It didn't yeah, yeah. seem like that would line up with that. And then we got to watch the movies and everything like that. And good exorcist was by far the biggest surprise of any of the movies. Like when, <laughs> with what I saw, you know, in the show with what you guys were filming and things like that. And then like the movie I ended up watching, like seemed not like two totally different things, but you could just see like how different it was, like seeing scenes being filmed and then seeing an end product, like how insanely different those things were like. And yeah, 
And Good Exorcist is unbelievably good. Like, I loved that movie. I did buy a t-shirt of it. Woo! Thank you. Me too. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it was... Uh, like I, I really <laughs> can't say enough about how much I really did enjoy The Good Exorcist. And it it really did, like, show, like, how different, like I said, it was from just, like, seeing it being filmed to watching the end product. Like, so was there anything that... When you guys were filming it, or even when you guys were writing it, that you were like, man, I have no idea how this scene or something like that's going to turn out. And then when you saw it finally, like, edited and, like, effects and all this other stuff added, like, you were like, it actually, like, it came across like you meant for it to. So, yeah, I mean, the whole film on paper really should not have worked at all. So, I think you could cherry pick any scene and be like, yeah, this really shouldn't work but you know josh is really good at um keeping morale high and just like pushing the the whole train forward so he i mean he would go back to their big palatial uh hollywood estate with the cameras and just edit i mean he would edit scenes that we were shooting that same day and he would you know bring them to the crew and he'd email them that night and be like hey you know thank you so much for all your hard work like this is what we accomplished today like look at this thing we did as a crew and um and it looked good i'm like oh wow we're making a freaking movie here uh so stuff like that you know really helped keep things moving forward and then it, it kind of just made you want to keep that same pace and that same sort of uh integrity throughout the film of like okay if we can make you know this really weird teddy bear scene work then we gotta you know make the next scene work and um i think for me the one scene i just did not think would work um while we were filming it was the uh the dance scene at the willows house so when we're all dancing and listening to music on the record player and then the whole record player thing happens um josh uh is quick to remind me that i wrote that scene and i was immediately told him after we filmed it i'm like this there's no fucking way any of this is usable like this is just so because like the whole thing is predicated on how goofy these characters are but i'm like this is too much goof like we're <laughs> they have a dance party night like i i just yeah right you if you haven't seen the movie you know you will someday hopefully check it out i just this scene to me just made no sense anymore and i'm like i don't know because again we were picturing it at a bed and breakfast I'm like, this makes sense if we're like in somebody's living room, but we're like in this bar <laughs> that doubles as their living room. <laughs> and it just, I was not <laughs> feeling it at all. And Josh was like, you know, he could see, you know, he was behind the camera, so he could see the cuts. He could see what was happening. He was, you know, he was building it in his head. He's like, no, no, trust me, this will, this will work. This will work. And I'm just like, whatever. I, I, you know, I regret writing this scene. Um, and God bless him, you know, it worked. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's stupid. <laughs> it's stupid as hell, but it's like the right amount of stupid. It that totally works. Sits, it <laughs> works with the rest of the movie. So I, I would say that was like the biggest for me, like, oh shit, this just can't work. But we knew, again, like we just kind of wrote what we knew and we wrote what we could get away with. So, you know, if that scene really didn't work then we knew we could pad it with a different moment you know or a different scene or something so yeah so we we uh, we yeah so again to reiterate we really just didn't think any of it would work but we also came with enough mental preparedness of like 
you know, we had plan B, we had plan C, we had plan, you know, we had these other routes of creativity and, and ideas where it's like, okay, if this just totally shits the bed, then I, I guess you're going to have to fight the teddy bear for like three more minutes or, or the teddy bear is going to come <laughs> back once you throw it in the dumpster, you know, or some crazy bullshit. So plot twist, plot twist. I smell a sequel. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so, so stuff like that, but um awesome. yeah thankfully thankfully josh uh w- just kept the trolley moving and kept people jazzed on what we were doing so that helped alleviate all doubt awesome so did you also get to meet robert rodriguez when he was on set uh watching you guys film uh no i'd love to he seems like a sweet guy uh no i'm just kidding uh i met him <laughs> <laughs> i met him okay so he, my interactions with robert are two i have two moments um and again didn't make tv even though it's tv gold um i met robert while we were filming the exorcism at the beginning of the film so josh and i which josh which we filmed at josh's um place so they had the the they rented a a big old house and had all five directors living together and josh was like i can totally save time and money by filming this exorcism in my room so we did and we had this this sweet young gal uh chained to a bed (laughs) with like weird uh charcoal we found out that charcoal toothpaste it um it's black it makes your teeth black, but when it dries, yes. it's kind of greenish blacky. It's like very gross and it smells delicious. It really clears out the, the <laughs> nasal cavity. So we we started using it for everything. And so we had this girl like just full of uh, uh, charcoal toothpaste and um, chained to a bed. And then we just were trying to do the scene of me dancing around this girl while she's possessed. And I'm trying to exercise the demons and... Um, we just hear all this ruffling behind the scenes and we're just like, okay, Josh and I just kind of give each other the look of like, okay, somebody, somebody's rolling into set real quick. And, uh, uh sure enough, it was, uh, El Jefe, Robert Rodriguez. And, um, so yeah, I was <laughs> doing my thing. I was mid scene. Um, I'm like, I think I was pouring the holy water on her and we get this knock on the door and Josh is like, uh, we're filming. And then in walks Robert Rodriguez and he says, <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> and we're like, well, I guess you're right. Uh, so <laughs> we cut, we cut real quick and Robert came in and I was just like, oh shit. Um, and he, he, I got the clip later. Josh sent me the clip because he did. Robert came in. It was the first time we had ever met, but he knew everything about me because he had read the script. He knew Josh's story, yada, yada. So it was very weird. He knew everything about me. I clearly knew uh, a bunch about him. And he looks at me. He like sizes me up. He looks me up and down. And he's like, this is the guy. It's like, oh, I see it. He's, he's, he's big. He's tall. He's like a big presence. Like he's perfect. I'm like, I can die now. Thank you, Robert. And I'm out. <laughs> That's I was all I just, needed. <laughs> I am perfect. Uh and um yeah that was like the one time and then it went into like reality stuff because you know he was making the rounds making sure everyone was doing good um but yeah that was the first time i met him and then we really didn't 
have a whole lot of interaction after that. Our set, we just didn't see a whole lot of Robert. Like we were just, once everyone knew what Good Exorcist was and how we were doing, it was very much a well-oiled machine. So yeah. we didn't we didn't get a lot of interference Um not you know, not to say that that it would have been interfering, but we just we didn't see Robert as much just because we simply didn't require you know that much of his time. Um, but meeting him was amazing. Um, he is just like the coolest freaking dude ever. He's huge as hell. He's just like a giant presence, but he's total like Zen. He's just like a Buddha master. Like you walk in and you just like connect with his energy in a weird way and it's just like we're gonna create some motherfucking shit and it's some shit that you've never seen before like i just you know homeboys homeboys got it he's tapped into something and um (laughs) he just like operates he just views things differently like obstacles are not obstacles to him they are just ways to just expand your mind to a new creative answer which is just like crazy i don't know he just jazzes you up So it was really badass to meet him. It really was only that time. But my second experience with El Jefe was the teddy bear scene. Uh, I'm rolling around. Um, I'll send you I'll send you this clip. I'll send you this photo later because it's fantastic. So it's me rolling around with the teddy bear and Josh snaps a picture where I'm like laying on the floor, robe open, very provocative, sort of a Burt Reynolds (laughs) on a bearskin rug adjacent with slime on my face and the teddy bear next to me and he snaps the photo and he sends it to robert and uh (laughs) he goes josh goes this is what we're doing with your seven thousand (laughs) dollars and uh robert goes oh what does he say it's something to the effect of money well spent and (laughs) i'm just like okay i can die oh pulling it up right here i got it i got it oh yeah uh, he sends the photo. Josh goes, would Robert be interested in seeing what good use the $7,000 has gone towards? <laughs> Robert goes, a bargain. <laughs> Two exclamation points. A bargain. That's awesome. He has seen me in my robe and he, he liked what he saw. Um, so <laughs> you yeah, guys no, are I, pretty close now. <laughs> we're, I, I, you know, we, we talk a lot. Uh, you can say we're like best friends at this point. Uh, he comes over to my place. We watch some Bravo. He, I go to his place. We watch some housewives, you know, it's, it's whatever. It's a thing. Sounds right. Yeah. It sounds about right. That story tracks. Um, but yeah, no, he, it was fantastic. He's rad. And then I met him at South by when we premiered the movies. Um, I introduced, uh, my wife got to finally meet him. And uh, he was really sweet to, to to both our wives. And it was great to see him again. So, yeah, got to meet him a handful of times. It was really rad. Um, but again, that was another thing like I was like super nervous about because Josh at this point had spent a lot of time with Robert and I had never met the guy. So I'm just like, that was like a weird thing weighing on me while filming. I'm like, because we all knew Robert was visiting sets, you know each day and i'm like oh boy what if he shows up today what if uh this happens what if i'm and especially early on because i'm like i am a bumbling fucking mess right now what if robert walks in and sees me like not deliver lines with my flop sweat going on and he's like this is the guy you (laughs) hired this is your father gill what the fuck man i gave you seven thousand dollars and then just shut the production down i mean that's that was best case scenario (laughs) in my thoughts but um yeah dude's a total sweetie would work with him again. Totally. I think I'd work with him again. That's awesome. If I had to. <laughs> if you were forced, I guess <laughs> yeah, yeah. I could deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. If, if he called, I'd answer, I guess. I don't know. 
but yeah it was fun yeah I'm, I'm really glad that you're willing to work with robert rodriguez again you know if you, you know somebody it's, twisted your arm you're like okay fine robert i'll do it i'll see if i can move some things around but all right he's so needy Ooh, he already got the one movie jeez oh lordy no it's it yeah it's it's just crazy i mean it's honestly it's just weird to talk about the fact that um and i've, I've said this before I said this on the show, even it didn't make the cut, whatever. Um, it just when people, you know, say that it's a dream come true, like I it's not even that like Josh and I like I didn't dream of this. I would never have a dream where I would think that Robert Rodriguez knew who I was and then gave me money to make a movie. You know, like those are <laughs> dreams. Right. I mean, those are dreams for like idiots, but like, <laughs> no offense to all you dreamers out there. But I, I mean, those, I couldn't even fathom something this ridiculous. It exceeded a dream. Yes. It's, yeah. <laughs> like it still makes no goddamn sense to me at all. But I'm glad it happened. <laughs> yet here we are. Yeah. And yet here we are. Uh, yeah. No, it's 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 surreal. It's very surreal. I could definitely see that. Like after especially watching the show and seeing the movies and talking to all the directors we did and talking to Ryan and Sarah and now you like it. It really is just one of those things that like when people like want to watch reality shows or want to watch, you know, a lot of those things like that's what kind of makes Rebel Without a Crusoe special is you essentially just have like five people following their dreams. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. the directors, and you know yeah. everybody else too, like the cinematographers, like the plus ones. cheering each other on. Yeah, the the plus ones that came along, you know them too. You like you know you and everybody else. Yeah, like it's it really is. It's you know it's people getting to follow their dreams, and there's not really you know it was really nice to see it without that competition element of things. Like you know like oh you know like oh we're an episode in, which filmmaker is going to get cut because they didn't film enough for their movie today or whatever. Yeah, like, it's such it's an really anti. Nice see that. It goes against everything you're ingrained to like think about reality television. Like it's it totally does everything wrong, uh, in the best way. I I know Josh watched Project Greenlight, like a bunch of episodes of Project Greenlight before he went out to Austin, which was the biggest mistake of his life because it's so fucking saucy with all the drama and bullshit. And it's just like, oh, man, what if this happens to me? I'm like, it's not going to happen to you. It's like, but what if it does? And then I'm like, oh, shit, what if it does? Like, it's so easy to just hear the words reality television and just want to run the other way but you know and they and they they that's why they kept saying docuseries it's a docuseries we're just merely here to document we're not trying to 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 you know ruffle any feathers uh which is true but you you still don't know you know you still don't know what's going to happen next and just the added pressure of the the goal set in front of you is so outlandish you feel like you're getting punked anyway you're like yeah they might not be out to sabotage me directly but 14 days and seven thousand dollars come on this is yeah insane um so it just the whole time you just you know but thankfully you didn't have any time to to second guess you just kept running and gunning no yeah that's that's really awesome um, yeah, that is a good way to put it, though. A docu series instead of it being a reality show. Yeah, I, I watch well, when we watched, you know, Rebel Without a Crew and everything like that, and like these movies. Like this was all back when it was on Go ninety. Uh, mm-hmm. I think we started watching the show. I think only the first three or four episodes had come out at that point mm-hmm. uh, when we started watching. So okay, yeah, it was sure. a long time ago for 
us too. Like it, yeah. You know, we watched <laughs> right? it all then, and then you know, all of a sudden, then like a couple months later, like Go Ninety's gone. You yeah. know, and so <laughs> I still keep the app on my phone just in memory of uh, of a oh, simpler time. I think it's time. still on my iPad. Right. Yeah, because yeah, I watched them on my iPad, so I think the app's still totally. on that. So. <laughs> R.I.P. Go 90. But no, we really do appreciate you coming on, man. And, you know, we've totally. had lots of fun talking to you. Uh, you know, we do apologize. And I'm going to leave this on for having all the audio problems or, you know, <laughs> problems we did have. Uh, hopefully nobody listening will, ha- you know, hear that. Right, uh, right. You know, with constantly having to reconnect these calls and everything like that. Um, but no, we do appreciate it. Uh, this has been super awesome and super fun. We've... Uh, Really enjoyed having you on. Uh, we yeah. are sorry, Justin. You know, Justin and us are sorry that he couldn't be on, especially since you know wrestling was one of your favorite. You know, the WWE was one of your favorite shows, and I he's know. been on. He's been on an episode of Raw before and stuff like that. Uh, he got beat. Saw that? He, yeah, he he got beat up by what's his name, Braun Strowman or whatever. Oh, he did. He got those hands. Oh man, we got to talk. Security <laughs> guard for Triple H. Okay. But later yeah. in the episode, Braun was going crazy and like threw him into a garage door. Oh, classics. They just beat up anonymous security guards that are like guys in polos and stuff. And, you know, he, he was one of the ones that got thrown into a garage door by uh, Braun. Oh, man. Um, Good on him. Good on him. Yeah. You know, sometimes those, those damn security guards just need to be put in their place. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Justin. That's exactly what ha- needs to happen to you. <laughs> No, all all technical difficulties aside, uh, this has been a blast. Uh, thank you guys so much for having me. And it's only a testament that I need to return sooner than later. Most mm. definitely. <laughs> exactly. I mean, we might do like our own little side thing, Daniel. We'll talk about X-Files. We'll talk about Starship yeah, yeah. Troopers. We got a whole thing. Littlest Reich. I mean, so many things. So many things. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not because weird. I will stand behind the Little Strike is one of the greatest movies ever made. I know I Ooh. haven't said that in a while, guys. Um, but it's right up there with the idea of a voodoo shark, which is oh, a callback wow. to another episode. So yes. and I've, I've I know of I know of said voodoo shark. I don't know if I've seen it, but I know it exists. And I feel like I'm happy. <laughs> Heather, I look forward so. to our friends cast um coming oh, yeah. everyone soon. Yeah. It'll be a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be a Thanksgiving um, friends marathon, basically. Yes, yes. And we'll get uh, Josh's wife, Jennifer. Uh, she's a huge Friends fan. We'll have her on. Perfect. We'll do some guest work. Yeah, it'll be a thing. <laughs> I love it already. <laughs> this right here, we've got like nine podcasts ready to go now. Empire. It's a tiny empire. of for all, for all of your entertainment. So I hope yeah. you guys appreciate this. We'll, we'll we start our own podcast now. We, we're literally running the gamut of friends to Puppet Master, Littlest Reich, slash Voodoo Shark. Like, and everyone in between. Nobody has been left behind here. Any and all people, for sure. Yes. <laughs> I love it. I love it. What I will say is the greatest movie saga of all time, the Starship Troopers movie saga. So yes. <laughs> we'll end it on that high note of Starship Troopers. Yeah. Oh, so. <laughs> Uh, yes other than that guys thank you guys for listening uh check out the website simpleslayers.com we have our threadless store there you can get there uh go to that and check out some sweet merch from threadless we've also you know check us out on instagram which is cinema slayers we uh twitter it's cinema underscore slayers um all those fun things we've got some cool things coming your way we're about to post a poll for you guys to nominate or to choose of 
all the worst movies you guys want us to do a podcast of that you kind of gave us the ideas for. We're going to put that poll up for you guys to, you know, put that up. Make sure you guys are watching Rebel Without a Crew. It's on Sunday nights at 730. 630 and 830, I believe. Or I guess it depends where you are. I don't know. <laughs> it is on Sundays. It's at night. We will post an actual time up on yes. our Facebook and Twitter and all that other stuff. Don't ask me. I was only on the show. Yes. Once again, thank you, Daniel. And thank you guys for listening. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thank you.